1: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack crack, Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our first podcast edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens in the Division I college tennis world, of course, with the return of this show means the return of college tennis into our lives. The first few matches, first few invitationals of this 2021 spring season have been played. Of course, we have countless thoughts on all of the action that's unfolded. Of course, there was also some big off-the-court news. The NCAA individuals officially going to take a two-year trial period in the fall. We want to offer our reaction to that announcement. And then, of course, we got to talk Diana Schneider in Australia. We're recording this episode right after Schneider completes what was a really fun three-set match against Maria Sakari. Now, ultimately, Sakari prevails. But will she? Won't she? Attend NC State. It's the conversation we will continue to have until we Know a definitive answer with all of that in mind. Joining me for the first episode and every episode of the deciding point this season is a returning champion, the returning champion of returning champions here on our crack racket shows. A man you know best as the founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, contributor to all things. Really related to college tennis that we do here at Crack Rackets. And, of course, our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. We have matches to discuss. It's exciting, is it not, my friend?
0: It's very exciting. We have real matches to discuss. We have actual results. We have some eligibility questions answered. It's It's happening. I will say, though, this weekend... One of my least favorite weekends on the college tennis calendar, just because we're still in this limbo phase of invitational, dual matches, uh, finding the results is a little bit of an Easter egg hunt. Uh, It becomes a little challenging. Least favorite weekend though, just for the record, is that weird weekend when just the Big 10 plays their conference (laughs) championship. I hate it. I wish we were all on the same page, but no, it's so great to
1: have some results back. Uh, and it's exciting to kick things off. That's hilarious. Yeah, this first week, really the first two weeks are certainly a bit difficult to follow from afar unless you know to look for the invitationals, you know to look for the hidden dual results. It's difficult to find everything. For the record, listeners, I've yelled at Chris Halioras. He'll get the website up and running as soon as possible, week ahead, week behind, etc. As soon as he figures out what he can and can't do this season with all that college tennis data, of course, right now. Now, turn to the ITA website. They do have every result listed there if you're looking for what has happened, what's up ahead. Is it as perfectly organized as Chris's was? Not yet, but I promise you folks, they are working their way towards that. And of course, another thing the ITA is working on is where we want to start today's show. It has been long discussed. It has been long proposed. I like to think We accelerated the process with our Crack Rackets interview series talking to 50-plus Division I Power 5 coaches and talking about whether it would make sense to do this or not, but it's official. The NCAAs are going to take a trial run in the fall. Now, the team event is going to stay in the spring, but it's officially announced that I believe in 2024, 2025. The NCAA individual events will be held in the fall. That's all part of a grand plan to make fall the individual portion of the NCAA calendar. You get done with all the individual events, including NCAAs. Now you open up the entire dual match for specifically team action you can play with the schedule maybe you can even play with the format if the matches become a little bit less prevalent to the immediate NCAA draw selection process we've talked about this so many different times the implications of this decision but let's do it once more Jay your first reaction to this announcement and your reaction to how this impacts the immediate future of college tennis
0: well, my first reaction was surprise, uh, mainly from a timing perspective, because the last time we had touched base on this was the in November. The Competition Oversight Committee uh, had reviewed the proposal and essentially punted it and said, hey, you know, there are concerns about bracket integrity. There are concerns from different conferences. We need more data and let's discuss this at a later meeting. And so that's where things were left. They had a December meeting. It wasn't discussed there. And then all of a sudden, we're getting the two-year pilot program announcement. So I was initially surprised just from a peer timing perspective. Uh, But look, I think that this is an exciting opportunity for college tennis. I think, to your point, it does have the opportunity to solidify what is a very clear fall schedule and a very clear spring season. And so I think that, you know, this has, it's like a blank canvas, right? If we paint the right thing on it, it can work really well for college tennis. Now, the good news for all of the bodies involved here is they have an entire dry run in the fall of 2023 where they can work on what does this look like for a fall individual season that culminates in an NCAA singles title. So, you know... We will see how things play out over the next you know year, two years. Um, but that was my initial reaction. Look, I, I think that I'm excited to see how it plays out.
1: You That last point I think is critical because – and we knew this was coming here at Cracked Rackets. It certainly seemed like all signs were pointing that direction and having had the opportunity to text with some players, text with some coaches since that announcement was made. The biggest thing is uncertainty. No mm-hmm. one knows exactly – what this is going to look like. I don't even think the ITA knows exactly what this fall national championship is going to look like quite yet. Now the announcement was made two weeks ago and knowing what I know about the ITA process, there is a plan in place. Now we have yet to learn what the details of that plan are and it will be on them to execute it over the course of the next 18 months. But that's the biggest reaction is uncertainty. There was certainly some frustration from the player side, particularly past players. You know, the NCAA Triple Crown winning the team event, singles and doubles. It was one of the most prestigious things in all of college tennis, and it doesn't go away, but there was added gravitas to being a part of the NCAA tournament for a month consecutively, being at the tournament site for two straight weeks, being able to grind it out, have that degree of success, even when you just won one of those titles after winning the team event. Look at what Peyton Stearns did last year, how impressive that was to just be in Champagne for that long. Um that's lost by moving it to the fall certainly you don't have the gravitas of the two straight weeks but you still have the triple crown and we still talk about the Ohio State team Buchanan and Rolla, who won both doubles uh, of the fall events as well as the NCAA doubles that triple crown they're the only team to do it and there are other examples as well we can point to but I, like a like, guy I, it, it's hard to Until we know exactly where this event is, until we know exactly what this selection process sounds like, although uh, what looks like, although I will add, the selection process will certainly incorporate the new relationship between the ITA, the USTA, and World Tennis Number. And that World Tennis Number is going to fluctuate not only with college results but with pro results as well. That's the idea is to get all this data into one one location you could argue universal tennis was that that's a discussion we've already had but the idea is that world tennis number will be very helpful in help we will have a proper set of data in helping to determine what the ncaa field should look like it's all part of the big picture plan that's how all of these puzzle pieces work together that said again there are some coaches who say you know location of the individuals isn't the issue there are some coaches that say, we're working on the fringes when this is not college tennis's program. And again, I'm not saying this. I'm just reporting what I have heard. I, I, it's impo- To your point, full circle here, it's impossible to know until we see it unfold, right?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think… Just underscoring the biggest concern that I've heard is really about bracket integrity, which is a nice sure. word of a nice way of saying, like, are the best players getting into this event, right? Or
1: even you, playing it in the fall. Or, if they're like, or, I'm good, I'm gonna go play pros.
0: Yep, or even playing it now if you wanted to take the fall semester off and not enroll in school, but still play the NCAAs, not an option, right? You have to make that choice. Um, So the biggest question is around, you know, how, how the selection criteria works. If you look at the, a lot of people will point to the fall rankings, fall individual rankings and say, wait a minute, if we use those rankings, right, to determine who gets into this tournament, probably not. The right way of doing that. I have questions about the incorporation of uh, WTN into the rankings. We've heard for so long that non collegiate matches cannot be used for selection criteria. I do think there either needs to be some give on some of those previously honored NCAA restrictions for incorporation. You know, things like do schools get more competitive dates to play a more full national schedule in the fall? So ultimately, there's just a lot of open questions, but those open questions should not derail moving forward. We just need to answer those questions over the next 18 months.
1: The other thing I would just lastly point to the facade of college tennis being a one semester sport is now erased like it is a full time commitment with this move to the fall with the NCAA uh, in terms of playing college tennis because 90 percent of the athletes even more probably 95 because less than five percent you would imagine with how many there actually are truly intend on playing pro tennis by the end of their college careers but 90 percent at least of these athletes strive to make an NCAA tournament in their careers and now you have to do that in the fall you have to play you have to play the summer events as well. You can't take the summer off because certainly those matches and not just the college but the pro stuff as well will factor into that fall criteria. Whether that's good or bad, I leave up to each individual to that decision because some people have no problem being committed to tennis all year round, the structure that brings in their lives. There will be others who are just like, ah, I want to be a college student. Like, I, you know what I enjoy on a Saturday in the fall football season? I enjoy tailgating. I don't want to do these individual things – It will be fascinating to see how that how that rope is tugged between the two sides, for lack of a better term. Like, I do think that's another point you have to mention here.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think I have long felt that the year round nature of college tennis can be a detriment to a lot of these student athletes. Right. Who are, for all intents and purposes, working year round who might not have pro aspirations. I think there is also something to be said for letting. Fans and and supporters of programs miss the sport a little bit. Uh, I think we lack that on the professional tennis side. So look, some players aren't going to have a problem, right? Playing year round, playing the summer events. Other players who don't have pro aspirations, which I would say probably 50 to 60%, maybe even higher of NCAA participants in that final 64 aren't going pro. Right. Or aren't even going to attempt to go pro. They have internships in the summer. They have internships in the fall. And previously, you could kind of afford to take some time off. It's going to be tough. Uh, It's going to be tough for coaches as well. Right. Year round. they already are year round. But now, you know, you lose maybe a developmental period for a freshman who you want to work on fitness or you want to work on stroke production. Things are changing. Uh, you know, Change is hard for people. Yeah. Right? People think about what it means first for themselves and people will need to adapt. Uh, and hopefully that there are people who are paid to think through what these next 18 months look like right, to make sure that it is best suited for uh, all of these questions we have.
1: Very true. Flip side real quick, 10 on a glass half full. A big benefit of doing this you can now play around in the spring. All the different fun team things we've talked about, all the different format tweaks we have considered making without the burden of knowing that, hey, if we can't screw around because this is going to impact the individuals, which this is the primary season for, it will create fun opportunities. You talk about the sport changing. This will prevent, uh, allow, create a permission structure to maybe try something different.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does, right? I do think that it is important to quickly capitalize on some of those promises, right? So, hey, does this now mean we can get individuals on TV? Does this mean we could be more flexible in experimenting with dual formats, right, that could also get on TV? I think providing some carrot, right? Some realization of that upside is going to be really important. I think there are a lot of people in college tennis who have felt maybe a little bit burned by some of the format changes leading to uh, improvements elsewhere, like things like TV. But you're absolutely right. There is clear runway now to experiment with some of these exciting opportunities for the sport, as well as potentially um, greater visibility in the form of TV.
1: There's just less tennis in October, in November, more space for the NCAs to exist. I'll tell you this, an unintended benefit, you know what's going to get a lot better, Crack Rackets coverage of the 2025 and six French Opens, because we're not going to be burdened with NCAA individuals on top of the team event, on top of the year's second major as well. It's a fascinating announcement with, again, plenty of impact in the sport moving forward. And my promise to you listeners, I have to get my schedule straight with all this Australia stuff. I'm bringing Tim Russell on at some point over the course of the next 14 days. I'm sending a text to him tomorrow. That's my promise to all of you to get him on the show to discuss all the different things happening because I know there's some other fun stuff happening that will make college tennis fans excited as well. With that said, let's talk about some tennis. And as it relates to this 2023 season, now, we don't. I don't want to get into specific results quite yet. I want to talk Diana Schneider because the 18-year-old is now inside the WTA Top 100. She wins her first round match, straight set victory, overcomes a 5-2 deficit in the second set. Three sets against Sakari tonight in the second round, makes over $100,000. In prize money with this result has now solidified herself not a ranking inside the top 200 not a ranking inside the top 150 but barring some extraordinary event this week she's going to be a top 100 player in the next edition of the wta rankings and with her lefty power game with what's coming up in february in early March, a lot of indoor hardcore events where you feel like she could thrive and, dare I say, solidify herself with like a, a semi final run in Lyon or, you know, one of those runs like that. Well, maybe, she, okay.
0: She's not on the entry list.
1: Well, okay. So this is a very good point and brings up the next question. Again, it has been no, there has been no clear sign, one way or another, from the Schneider camp what sort of decision she has made. We have talked about it before. Jay, I would ask you to rehash the off-court impact for Schneider, why going to NC State makes sense for her, because that's a component I think a lot of tennis fans aren't aware of, and I don't mind repeating here. But I mean, second round of the Australian Open takes a top 10 player in the world to three sets, clearly, clearly has the weapons to be a pro player already even when the first serve percentage struggles. You can see why college tennis would be nice for her. Work on the first serve, work on your fitness, just tidy everything up for six months. But Jay, sometimes when you gotta go, you gotta go. And she's top 100. I like, again, you'd have to go back to John McEnroe to talk about like top 100 players playing within college tennis. Thoughts, take it away from here.
0: Well, look, I mean, the real question is, can she beat Fiona Crawley? <laughs>
1: you know, you, you say Crawley, but what about uh what about uh Cig over at USC? She's a pretty good freshman too.
0: I know. I mean, look, so well just to rewind to to rehash some of those conversations, why is Diana Schneider in college, right? She commits, you know, back in, you know, summer of last year, right? At that point in time, the 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 tension that Russian players were facing was high and the uncertainty was high in terms of what sort of visas you could get uh, as a Russian you know, national competing across the world in tennis. It was also an open question on if you are able to secure uh, sponsors and agents, right, who can find the funding for you as a Russian player. Very difficult, if not impossible, to come by at that point in time. She was a number two ranked junior in the world. She was in the top 250 in the WTA rankings. At that point in time, it was a massive coup to get her to come to college, period, but Those open questions and, hey, am I able to travel freely in and out of the United States where maybe I want to base my training in? Am I able to travel to the tournaments I want to travel to without the sort of visa I need? Those were very real questions and continue to be questions and hurdles that Russian players face. She decides to enroll at NC State she is enrolled currently right and she plays a very heavy pro schedule in the fall she doesn't compete in any collegiate events and i think to her surprise and nc state surprise and everyone i mean she has an incredible fall season right by the end of it she won a wta 125k was close to making the her wta top 100 you know now those results have continued so that's sort of how she found herself in college, um, and the reality is is some of those concerns have not necessarily gone away, right? I think, yes, she is now capable of securing visas to travel to pro tournaments for those events, but freely in and out of the United States, if she's not on a student visa, will prove difficult. So there are a lot of factors here well beyond, like, what you and i know for why she may or may not consider to go pro but if she was looking for funding the 110k paycheck that she's going to get that solves a lot of problems
1: that's the big thing is now there's a significant financial sum to finance yep. everything she wants to do as a top 100 player which by the way means instead of 60k 80k events she's playing the highest wt level events where the prize money's not Ridiculous, but it's a livable wage. And that on top of this, you now get into the French Open main draw, you get into perhaps Wimbledon. Come the uh, well, I guess she won't get into Wimbledon, but um, because Russian players are currently banned. uh, The larger point is she has the chance to play tour level events and she has the funding to do it. And those are two non negotiable things which remain the most prevalent, despite every again, I think you did a really good job of listing out why. Going to NC State might make sense for Schneider, but I mean, tennis-wise, there's no question. The game is ready. That said, like six months at NC State to work on the serve to get just become a physical monster, like oh man, I'm like it would be again in the in the Earnshaw system. Get uh, six months in the system, Jay. Like we saw, I'm I'm blanking on the assistant coach's name or associate head coaches. Uh, Dave, Dave Secker. Yeah, Dave Secker. We saw him courtside. That yeah. matters, and someone tweeted funnily that this is the new Brooksby. This will be NC State's Brooksby that they'll take credit for no matter what. And I chuckled. I won't lie. Um,
0: that's not okay. a joke. That's a real question. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> we have to consider this, right? Do we? If she no, doesn't play, she never took a class.
1: Brooksby took classes. He lived on campus. I don't think that that's true. She took a class. I believe she's been enrolled. Then she counts. Count. Yeah. Her. Count uh, that baby uh, and a She's following.
0: enrolled this semester as
1: well. Then count it. Then it yeah. counts. That that There's your answer right there, in my opinion. I think it matters. Um, we'll, again, Secker was there. Like, it's a good look. It's a good look for the program when you're sitting courtside.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Whether, you know, the, the paycheck might allow her to self-fund and if funding was an issue that she was looking to address, you know, six to nine months ago, that has sort of resolved itself, credit to her performance. Look, it's a good it's good PR for college tennis, right? I think, you know, NC State got a lot of positive coverage, both on the broadcast as well as in tennis, Twitter, right? If nothing else, this will probably have a lot of players look at college tennis. I think, putting on my nc state hat right they would say that she's been in the system you know yes she's been traveling and playing these tournaments week in week out over the fall but she has had the assistant coach with her travel throughout these tournaments they've been working with her since she stepped foot on campus in august this is still a testament to of course the talent that she brought in in august but also what they have been able to do with her over these past six months so it's a great testament to college tennis and if nothing else, it's just a good, you know, good PR for college tennis as a pathway.
1: Loved seeing NC State as frequently as I did on my Twitter feed. I will ask Westhoff, can we get a quick rewind sound effect? Something I forgot to ask you about, Jay, as it relates to the NCAAs announcing the individuals, they also announced, you talk about, again, resources, the ability to hire a third coach for these college tennis programs now. No longer will they have to be the volunteer assistant. You can actually pay these coaches. And it's twofold, massive, massive for the volunteers who have to work so many hours, not only for the team, but additionally, teaching lessons, being on court, just doing things to pay the bills, school's going to be able to make that a little easier by offering a salary to these volunteer assistants. That said, and I've already had this conversation with a couple of people, it is sort of the rich getting richer, right? Like Virginia, Georgia, uh, well, USC with Lincoln Riley as their football coach, like Texas, the big school, A&M, the big schools will be loaded. They will have their third coach on staff. There will be other programs that will be – I just because I know this person will get mad at me. Baylor will have a third coach on staff. All right. I said it. Don't get mad at me. Um, Other programs will not be able to afford that, Jay. And so, again, it's twofold. This is outstanding for a lot of volunteers. And even the volunteers who won't get a full salary, to get any sort of salary helps. But what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I think you laid it out pretty well. I think – it will help a lot of the volunteer assistants, right, who are not taking any money. And then a lot of times that means you have to shut out people who might want to get into college tennis coaching, but can't afford to take what is often a very challenging, rigorous role for no money, right? So it's sort of like uh, taking an internship in, in college for no money. And, you know, that favors people who can afford to do that. Oftentimes you see programs maybe take someone who isn't looking to make a career change, but has some extra time on their hands. So I think that this opens up pathways for younger, recently graduated college players, more diverse coaches to take on these sorts of roles, which I think is absolutely excellent. On the flip side though, to your point, there are going to be massive pay disparities between the volunteer, no longer the volunteer, the paid assistant at some schools compared to others. And, in that regard it is going to be the programs that can fund it but i also am curious to see how much they will actually be able to fund for these positions in a non-revenue sport right this is not a tennis specific change this is a change across sports which impacts sports like baseball right who leverages volunteer assistance the funds are going to go there first right so yes there are going to be schools who will be able to pay their paid assistance a healthy amount but we'll see how big of a disparity it is but you know it's gonna be a a game changer for a lot of these programs just even on the recruiting trail right to say hey we now have three fully funded coaches at your disposal
1: you think ty goes to dave Schilling and is like i will pay you your denison salary i need you back like (laughs) let's run it back Uh, first of all the answer to that question is zero percent chance that ty does that but um and just, you know, again, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. All right. I agree with everything you've said there. I think that's our off-court news. Let's talk about some 2023 college tennis results. 2023 college tennis results? Jay, we're back. You know, I was getting salty when I was looking at what you and Ethan were doing this month. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm going to get Jay every week because we're going to do the deciding point. So <laughs> to you, Ethan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways. I know.
0: Unfortunately he's in law school, so a little yeah. less reliable on the weekly, uh weekly shows. Thankfully this is your full time job. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. I have no counter. Um and by the way, you guys are killing it over oh, at right. Noad, no problem. I, I really because the title was very enticing, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to listen, and it was a mistake because I was so angry that we didn't do that pod on our show. But talking about what it was like with Ethan to prepare in January for the start of the dual match season, and for people that don't know, Ethan was part of the Virginia program, uh, now in law school there, was Jay's co-host for many of the No Ad No Problem episodes. It was a really good episode. It was really well done. And If you want to hear what these months, lo- uh, this month looks like behind the scenes, go check out that show. But we don't need behind the scenes to watch some of this tennis. And, oh, uh, I mean, let's just say there was a certain school I was watching who was playing Boston University this weekend, um, and to pull up that website once again and just have live streaming, double tab, two sides of the laptop screen, I was like, we are back, Jay. It was great.
0: Yeah, I know we're back when the live stats prompt of like, go mobile or stay here. And I'm like, go mobile, go mobile, go mobile. Every single time on all, every single tab. Yeah, we're back. That's good. If you know, you know.
1: Yeah, or like the... uh... The best is when you go like 12 – you're 12 scores wide and you're like, how do I want to organize this? It's like, all right, I'm going to go by (laughs) conference. I'm going to go first three this conference, next three this conference. And that way it's just like somewhat organized as I'm scrolling through. It's good to have those problems back. If you know, you know. But one thing we now finally know is that Reese Brantmeyer is eligible for UNC. And I think that's where we have to start in terms of the on-court news because not only did Brantmire just win a doubles title at another futures event with McKenna Jones, but Brantmire was suited up in Carolina Blue. Brantmire competing for the Tar Heels this past weekend. Now you look for North Carolina wins over Elon, Appalachian State, East Carolina, and Campbell. Did they bring out the big guns? No. They didn't play their entire lineup throughout, the, you know, they didn't play the A-team, we'll say, throughout the course of the weekend. We got to see a lot of the components, though, in action, yep. including Meyer, who not only lined up in singles, but lines up in doubles as well. It was fun to see some combinations. What stood out to you the most?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't bring out the, the big guns one through six, but all the big guns were playing, right? Sure. Everyone was in action, which was good to see. It was good to see Scotty in action after kind of a, a bridged fall. Um, obviously, Meyer being eligible is a huge uh, – <laughs> is a huge uh, question answered now for these Tar Heels? Look, I mean the the talent overfloweth uh, <laughs> at, in Chapel Hill. Uh, I think the one lineup chain lineup result that I took note of was Tangillig over Abby Forbes in one of their matches. So it was the first uh,
1: match. So for the record, against Elon, where it went Crawley, Tangillig Forbes, Scotty. Yeah, that is interesting.
0: That was interesting, and Crawley lost a set. That one was getting close for a little bit there, but yeah. You bite your tongue. Scotty at at four. That was without Meyer. I mean, look, uh, continue to have all signs pointing in North Carolina's direction, uh, which is good news if you're a UNC fan.
1: Guess Scotty's score at four. Hopefully you don't have it in front of you.
0: Well, there was definitely an O and O match in there. She
1: won an O and O at four. That's just yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, you point out Crawley loses set at one. She does win the match. Tran loses a set at four against Appalachian State, but she does ultimately win the match as well. Scotty played with Tran. Scotty played with Forbes. Scotty played with uh Tran a couple of times, but uh again, Forbes played with Brantmeyer as well. It seems like Crawley and Tan Gillig will be sticking together. I mean, Yarlegata got a straight set when she played above Tran in the App State match, which feels somewhat notable. I mean it feels like we know again, the first flash of the six will be Crawley. I mean Gilliga, too is a wow sort of moment. Forbes, Scotty, probably what? Then then Yarlagata, then
0: Well, I mean you miss Brettmeyer. Oh, right? yeah. So, oh, sorry,
1: you're right. Of course, I miss Brantmeyer. Brantmeyer, who plays, again, two in the match where she does play singles above Scotty. Does she go four? Scotty, five. Yarlick got a six. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the three through five there is going to be uh, unbeatable in a lot of ways.
1: The idea of Brantmeyer and Forbes, too, pushing Crawley and Tangillick down to two doubles, which is very feasible in my opinion, because I think that's going to be a really good doubles team. Like,
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have answers in doubles, right? You have Carly yeah. and Tank number one team in the country. You have Brent Meyer coming off of her 25K doubles title. And you have NCAA champion Elizabeth Scotti, uh sitting there as well. So, yeah, and
1: then Abby Forbes and Riley Train has been a top 10 doubles team just like lingering. Yes.
0: So, look, I mean, it, good. in a in a, you know, uncertain time period for a lot of other schools. Right. I mean, look, there are no questions now for North Carolina.
1: Yeah, they get Brantmire. So they do have those outstanding seven options, and we see them flexing all those options early. Now, again, they weren't significantly tested, but coming up this weekend, they go to Auburn. They're going to play Wisconsin. They're going to play Auburn. NC Central coming on Wednesday. I'm ex- do, do the Tar Heels flex their muscles? Do we see all six starters against either Wisconsin or Auburn?
0: I think you do, right, in prep for kickoff weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Scotty sits one of the matches because I think Tran's going to get a rep against, I'll say, Wisconsin. I don't know if they go full tilt. I mean, you, probably, you might have to go full tilt. Auburn's pretty solid at one through six. Oh, I'm excited to see the lineups. I really am. Again, you can hear that I'm giddy uh, for the start of this year. All right, that's enough on the Tar Heels. Let's move down Tobacco Road to Durham, where Chapel, uh, where excuse me, the Blue Devils get their season underway. They play a bunch of matches to kick off the year of the Blue Devils 3-0 after wins over Furman, Charleston Southern, and Charlotte. And look, Furman and Charlotte are two solid teams. Not top 25 good, but certainly in that top 60 conversation. And you look for... Duke, here's the most notable thing against Furman Beck, Mora, Jackson, Coleman, Brisgolova, Schwetz. Against Charlotte, Beck, Mora, Jackson, Drummy, Coleman, Brisgolova. Says big things about Emma Jackson, who obviously had a really solid fall. Mora up at the number two spot, where, by the way, she had a very good weekend three-set win over Furman, but then 6 0 up against Charlotte as well, so solid start, I would say, for her. Chloe Beck, just doing Chloe Beck things at the number one spot, one and two against Furman, two and two against Charlotte. I mean, again, no Schwetz in that Charlotte match was interesting, and her starting at six, considering how good she was for Princeton back to start the 2020 season, is noticeable, the doubles team's noticeable as well. What did you notice, Jay?
0: Well, it was it was Bryce Glove at five and Schwatz at six in that Furman match, right? Because Furman certainly um no slouch also brings in, you know, their head coach now is the former associate head coach at Duke. The assistant coach is Kelly Chen. They know this Duke team very well. So, you know, Duke, Duke rolled it out um, you know, with everyone but Drummy, who potentially is coming back from injury as they move her in at four, but yeah, that was the big um I thought that was a big confidence uh boost for Jackson and Coleman to put them in over the grad transfers you have in Bryce Glova and Schwetz. We'll see, right? We'll have to see how how those um you know sophomores versus grad transfers play out. It did seem like they moved more down in a match. I think she was a little bit less convincing than some others in her wins. Um, so I expect that Drummy will start to move her way. Up in that yeah, lineup.
1: That was noticeable. Drummy at four. That's something yes. that right away, I mean, again, she didn't play a ton of tennis in the fall, but that's something no. you, you certainly see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. She did not play much. Uh, we talked about that when previewing Duke, but I anticipate that she is getting some reps in and she'll move her way back up to likely that two position.
1: Doubles teams. Beck and Mora at the number one spot. They win yep. their first match down 5-2 in their second one. Coleman and Barankova get the nod at the number two spot where they go 2-0, drop two games. And then it's Jackson and Brizgalova. I, I do think that's noticeable. I like those pairings. Those are all pretty solid to me. Now, you do wonder, again, though, does Georgia Drummy work her way into that lineup? Because to have the lefty at any spot, particularly not the burden of one where Beck and Mora will hold things down for now, it's noticeable.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, Duke has more options in doubles because Barankova is a very solid doubles player who has held down the number one spot for them over these past few years. And she won't factor in as much in singles. So if you think they have depth in singles, they have even more depth in doubles. So I imagine they'll continue to play with some of those uh, lineups, particularly if they start to get Drummy back into the doubles lineup.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating again to watch moving forward, but a good strong start for a Duke team. Again, good wins over Furman and Charlotte uh, to kick off their 2023 season. Again, I want to get to the invitationals because there were a wave of them, but we'll do that next. The last top team who showed us a sneak peek at their lineup was, of course, the defending National Indoor finalists, defending NCAA finalists, and that, of course, is the Oklahoma Sooners. You look uh, for Oklahoma. They kick off their season with victories over Missouri and Wyoming uh, as well as went win over Tallerton State now they are traveling up north this weekend and they will get a Michigan Ohio State Friday Sunday that is a sharp sharp start to their 2023 season and we'll talk about each of those teams in a moment when we get to the Michigan Invitational I mean talk to me about what you saw from the Sooners the lineups what you gleaned from the first three matches.
0: Well, the biggest thing to take away was uh, Pisa Reva moving up in the lineup. We had previously seen her last season hold down that number five position. She moves up to number three uh, in their opening match. I think they ended up swapping her a a few times with uh, Donna Guzman in their subsequent matches. But, uh, you know, that's on the heels of a a very solid fall for her. They did not play Ivana Corley uh, at number three singles where you might expect her to play. That's where she was for the NCAA uh, team run. Other than that, I think the Oklahoma lineup isn't going to be as fluid as maybe some of these other teams. I think you have Elaine Sleeth and Carmen Corley holding down one and two. I think you have players like, you know, Ivana Corley, if they want to slot her in at three and then Pisa Reva and Guzman. And then you have, you know, Staker and, um, and, and their freshmen, um, you know, Julia Garcia, who um, has had a, a pretty solid debut playing at that kind of five five line.
1: You know, I'm coming to the re- realization right now and this is devastating because I was I, I mean, it's devastating in the sense that it's a 4-hour drive there and then a 4-hour drive back, but Michigan plays Tennessee on the men's side on Thursday and then the women play Oklahoma on the on Friday.
0: Yeah. I made this known to you when we were doing the previews.
1: I know, I know, but you've got to be there. I have to go, right? Because it's my city. Like, I got to host them. What if, if I'm not there? Go. They're going to be so – I'll just – I know the snark I'm going to get from f***ing Audra and f***ing the Tennessee staff and players as well if I'm not there. They're going to be like, what, you ducking us? And it's like, I'm not ducking you. I just yeah. – I mean, it's the, it's the Australian Open. Like, oh, I think – well, I these have are day
0: matches, right? At least on the weekend. Yeah. Thursday men might be a, an evening one, but it's a dereliction of duty if you don't.
1: <sighs> dereliction of duty. The problem is – you know what the real problem about saying this is now is that – okay, I'm going to be honest. I had this realization two days ago, and I texted – My dear friend, college roommate, Blake Ahadi, who's now in business school at Michigan and has a very perfect place uh, right in Ann Arbor where I could have stayed for for the night, like literally stayed Thursday night, drive home after the match on Friday. And my parents wouldn't even have had to know that I was home because I don't think I'm going to have a ton of time to spend with them and I don't want to be rude and go home. But I was also like, but I can't go home and not see my parents when they're 40 minutes away from Ann Arbor. And so I was having this big moral conflict. And now the thing is my mom will 100% listen to this podcast tomorrow because she cranks him out one and a half speed and she'll be like, oh, you coming home? And <laughs> it's now, now I, like, I think I have to come home. I think you do. I mean, it's Thursday evening for the men. Don't uh, you get a day off on it's Friday? It's 5 p.m. I think it's 5 p.m. No. And then it's Friday for the women, which is actually better. Perfect. Back to back. <sighs> I think I have to go. I'm going. All right. A decision made. I'll tell off when he gets home. It's just like we got so many podcasts to do, Jay. I just have so much podcasting to do in um, a four-hour drive. Look, going to these
0: matches improves your craft.
1: Okay. Well said. Jay, um, are, you, are you mandating it? You've earned the right to mandate this. If you say Gruskin, you have to go. I'll go.
0: Yeah, you have to go. Okay. I told you I'm this okay. months ago.
1: I'm going. I can't, I'm about to pull on. Let me text my roommate right now. I will be in Ann Arbor. Okay. Text is sent. I'm going, Mom, I'm coming home. Get the brownies ready. You're uh, welcome, Mrs. Gruskin. Uh, doctor. Come on. Doc, no, no, sorry. no. no. <laughs> First of all, she wouldn't care at all. That's just me being a good son, right? I feel like yeah, that's what you got to do. Um, but yeah, no she'd day. be like, she'd be like, yeah, she'd be like oh, Jay, I, Jay's one of my favorites. I, I just love the interview he did of you when he was – that's not what she sounds like either. She always gets mad when – but that's how I hear her in my head. Um, You know, last tangent, I promise. So in Jewish culture, the term for grandmother is sometimes bubby, which just like straight out of the 1920s, the term bubby. Like, come on now. Um. And so my, my mom is like, under no circumstances will my grandkids be calling me Bubby. Like, she's like, I want to be, she's like, I want to be Gigi, Grandma Gruskin. She's like, I want to call them Gigi. When we're like, first of all, we are not Italian. Like, the kids aren't walking in and be like, oh, Grandma Gigi. Like, that's not what they're going to be doing. It's like, now for sure they're calling you Bubby. Like, you just cursed yourself. Like, should have never said that out loud.
0: Oh, man. Well, I think. We've got a little bit of ways to go, right, before we're, we're talking <laughs> no, grandkids. No, I'm an older
1: brother. It's him. It. Okay. Come out. Yeah, right. he, okay. He's 30. Um, yeah. And so, you know, again, do you want to hear about his relationship with Alexa, whom I very much enjoy, by the way? Alexa, big. Always been a fan of Eric's girlfriends. Alexa, another hitter. Uh, but I told Eric, I'm like, if you want to talk to an Alex more frequently, I'm right here. Um. Anyways, th- uh, this is another J-, J permission. This is how we'll end the tangent. B- Bubby or Grandma Gigi? Does she have permission to be a I, Gigi?
0: I don't think you go Grandma Gigi. It's just Gigi because it stands for Grandma. No, Gigi. I
1: know, but I think it's funnier if it's oh, Grandma Gigi because that's <laughs> like you can't just say Oh Gigi. Like I it, it just, it's hilarious.
0: I mean, you already have the Jewish culture. There's no reason to co opt the Italian this one. This is what
1: I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> this is my the crux of my argument here, Jay. Um, no, she could be Gigi. I, I mean, again, it would. They're both funny options. It's a win-win at this point because we've made a mockery of each, which is what being a son is all about. Um, anyways, you know what? This show's supposed to be about college tennis, and, you know, again, to your point, Oklahoma looks good in their first match. It is interesting to see the doubles pairings they go with. They stick with the Corleys. They go Pisareva yeah. and Sleeth, Guzman Ruiz. That's the real thing I glean from this, although, you know, again, uh, it is—notable is no- uh, notable's the wrong word, but— Ivana didn't play. You're right. Like, again, is that going to be – what's the over-under? If I say over-under 13.5 for Ivana this year, singles matches.
0: Are you excluding all of the, like, uh, you know, indoors, NCAAs? Oh.
1: I'm including it all. No, no, no. I'm including it all, but I'm boosting the number to 19.5.
0: Oh, I think it's under. I don't think she played 19.5 last season.
1: I don't know if she finished 19.5, but I bet she played – actually oh. – Maybe. Yeah, just no, but I mean, because because Guzman was so injured for so long, so they were stuck in their six forever, right? Yeah, it was it was always the same six stuck. I say it was a really good six. They weren't stuck on anything. <laughs> they were yeah, great. Yeah, maybe.
0: But... I mean, they they played her today against Wyoming. Yeah, um, you know, she's the one player to go three sets there. They they swept seven zero. I don't know. I think they're going to want to get some reps for um, for Julia, the freshman, right? And that means pulling someone, and it likely means pulling Ivana.
1: This is a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe scenario, not projecting future success for Brady, but it's like his first year, he was successful right away. Obviously, they have a freshman who's successful right away, and you've got this national indoor MVP quality player who it's just like what do we do? It's fast. It's again, it's a fascinating thing to monitor throughout the course of the year. That's why we're talking about it. Week one. Let's talk some invitationals where we don't have clean dual match format, but certainly we get to see a bunch of players in action and we will see clean dual matches for two of the teams I want to talk about next. Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, Ole Miss participating in the Michigan Invitational. Jay, what stood out to you from a results perspective?
0: You know, the Michigan one was interesting because I felt like between Michigan, Ohio State and Tennessee, it was a kind of a wash. Um, there were some days where I thought Michigan looked really good. Other days where I thought Ohio State took it, took it to them. I, I thought Tennessee underwhelmed a little bit, particularly Tennessee, you know, has a trio in Daria Kutzer, Mertena, McGiffin, these players who you expect to hold down the top of the lineup who I didn't think had as strong as a, you know, invitational as you would expect. I think Michigan continues to look really deep, right? I think they have players that can go six, seven, eight. Um, some absences for Ohio State, no boule, uh, which, you know, is a, is a big absence for them on the Michigan side. No Julia Fliegner, uh, which is another absence for them. But overall, those were kind of my takeaways. This is kind of like, I felt like, we kind of were intermixing all of these results. Nothing stood out um super well.
1: I disagree. I think Michigan won the weekend. I think really? they struggled in doubles, which congratulations, other news, water, wet. Um but they were really good in singles. And you're right. Like, the the Achilles heel for this Michigan team will be Ohio State because these, these players just play each other so frequently. There are no secrets in the scouting reports, no secrets in the matchups. Now, we got to see some different ones, the big ones. Uh, Brisniak beating Jaden Brown in three sets. Kantos over Hammond in three sets. Ratliff over Miller in three sets. You're right. That's the tough day. Like, Ohio State plays well. And, and that was a tough matchup. But you look for the Wolverines who go 5-2 and two against Tennessee in singles, who sweep Ole Miss in singles as well. They played better doubles in their matchups, not against Ohio State. And again, I think this is where you feel the Julia Fliegner absence, particularly given you know she will be a presence in their doubles lineup. Again, I'm not saying – you know what? Unequivocal was too strong. But Michigan won the weekend. They go what? What was the overall record still with Ohio State? Four and three in singles. And, again, Ohio State gets the big wins from Contos, from Ratliff, from uh, Brisniak, But Michigan swept Ole Miss, who has a couple of ranked players. They, they 5-2 Tennessee, which is a really good result. Like, I thought this Michigan team played well.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I disagree that they came out up top, but that's where it was. It was, I mean— Ohio State also played uh, Ole Miss very well. Um, I, I do think the the Ohio State-Michigan results that you're looking for there, particularly with Ohio
1: State, without Isabel Boulay, you know. Um, so uh, I- here's my takeaway then, and you tell me if this is fair. Michigan and Ohio State, my takeaway from the weekend, is they looked like top 16 teams. I'm not saying they're top 10 teams, but both of them are good enough that they should be seeded the NCAA tournament, and that means they're going to have to have some success. Boy, does one of them really need to beat Oklahoma this weekend. That would be a massive boon for both teams. If you're a Wolverine fan, a Buckeye fan, you're rooting for one another against the Sooners this weekend for the sake of the conference. But I think these teams, again, should be in that next tier of conversation. Again, the top 11 is pretty firm when you add AM and and Selma Ewing. But, like, there's no—Auburn's not definitively better than Michigan or Ohio State. Like, I don't think Arizona State is definitively better than Michigan or Ohio State. Some of these next tier of teams you'd turn to—I think Michigan would be, and Ohio State would both be upper-end SEC teams. And upper-end SEC teams, such as Tennessee and Ole Miss, are typically in the top 16 conversation. Is that a fair takeaway from the weekend?
0: Yeah, I do not think Tennessee and Ole Miss are top 16 teams. No, but top 25. Top 25, the way that Michigan and Ohio State played those teams indicates that they're in a top 16 conversation. And I agree with you that that 12 onward, that 12 through 16, I think they're very much in that conversation. Now, we've chatted previously about the challenge they will have in getting themselves into that conversation given where they're ranked right now in the coaches poll and needing to secure some, you know, non-conference wins, which starts this weekend. But yeah, I came away impressed honestly with the depth of both teams, right? You have a a Shelly Berezniak in Ohio state who didn't really factor into the lineup. She gets some good wins this weekend. You have a lot of Michigan players up and down that lineup um, kind of having Two and one, three and oh type weekends. So I think if anything, the depth for both of these teams will get them into top sixteen territory.
1: I think this Michigan team's a year away. And I know Nicole Hammond's a senior. I think Serdan's a senior as well. But like I know Jaden lost this weekend. I fully believe in her in Kari. I think Julia's obviously playing really well. Gaia it plays outstanding tennis in the bottom of the lineup I just really like the pieces for this Michigan team and again I think they're going to be I really hope they're top 16 this year so they can take the lumps they need to be a team that's a year away and then come next season they're ready to rock and roll but Tennessee's so fascinating just last thought on this invitational no disrespect to Ole Miss but like it really is dartboard tennis and that it's like all right we've got the seven names on the dartboard you're playing one congrats Kutzer you're playing too. Congrats, Adishina. Like, you're pl- like, I, I, no, there were no clear indication for me looking at this weekend results who should play where.
0: Yeah. I do think you have the three players that they're going to switch between, right? Platoon system of Kutzer, Mertena, and Tomase. Yeah, I, think Tomase. I, said, I, I, I think I said, said Adishina,
1: but you're right. And I said
0: McGiffin earlier. It's it's yeah. Tomase, those three. And then, you know, between Molinero, Adishina, a lot of those players. Um, and I'm, you know, plug them in at four, five, and six. I mean, they really have like, you know, six players there, all very, very similar level.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating, no doubt about that. To see uh, this team continue to compete this year and you know, again, who ends up where come the end of the season, because this is a very talented team. It's just, again, finding the right calculus, all the calculations. Uh, That said, again, very fun Michigan Invitational. Michigan, Ohio State going to get rocking and rolling this weekend as Oklahoma comes to town. Um, And we'll get into the week ahead a little bit later. A couple of Invitational's left to discuss. Miami Invitational. Who's competing? What'd you notice, Jay?
0: Yeah, this is always the you know big one on the calendar, one of the one of the few. So this year it was Vanderbilt, NC State, Miami, and Texas. So a lot of interesting teams here. You know, you know, a few contenders here, a few teams that are going to be pushing that top sixteen, maybe even top ten in Vandy and Miami. I think we talked a lot about Diana Schneider earlier in the show, but the player is actually competing for NC State right now look really good. So I thought Amelia Rejiecki, Nell Miller, and Sophie Abrams, they all went two and one this weekend. They all had really strong wins. I think Rejiecki is proving that she is capable of stepping up into a top three lineup position, beating Charlotte Shavathpahn of Texas and Bridget Samuel of Vanderbilt. I thought Nell Miller and Sophie Abrams in particular. I know I had kind of questioned some of the NC State's depth they looked great. Nell Miller knocking off Sabina zanalova of Texas, is um, Fenning of Miami, Abrams beating uh, Malik Garoppolo. So they had a lot of really good results um, on the NC State side. They look good in doubles as well. Miami was interesting. Uh, Miami was pretty much Alexa Noel, and that was it. Alexa Noel goes 3-0. She's kind of the player of the weekend um she looks back to her which by the way
1: is not insignificant in what way alexa noel being back like uh, with the pieces we know miami has yes they may not have played great this weekend but it's like all right but you have the best player in 98 percent of the matches you're going to play and that matters
0: yeah absolutely right i mean she was coming back from injury this past Mm -hmm. fall working her way up now she looks firmly like the top 10 players she was when she got injured so that's a really good result for for Miami. I think they did struggle throughout the rest of the lineup in that in this weekend, but you you figure that they'll find uh, find those pieces uh moving into the dual season. Texas Look, we talked about Reese Brantmyer being eligible. We now know Nicole Kieran of Texas and Nicole Rivkin both eligible. They both competed this weekend. Nicole Kieran did not play singles, which I think is a strategic move on the Texas side uh, to avoid any potential lineup challenges of where she will play um not a good weekend for Texas on the whole. I thought I thought Zayna Lova struggled. uh the big news outside of Kieran being eligible was Patchkleva. Pachova was back. she was appeared to be healthy. she gets two good singles wins. Um, so that's great news for for Texas. And then lastly, the other team here, kind of my dark horse team of the season, was Vanderbilt. You know, I thought it was a hit-or-miss weekend for them. Um, you know, they pulled Celia Belmore from the lineup after she lost to Alexa Noel. Kind of moves everyone up. I um, thought people took some tough losses. Uh, but this is going to be a really tough Vandy team. And this was a good weekend to to get some of those early matches in.
1: Yeah, very well said. I thought Vandy played well. Like, again, they were one of the biggest winners of the weekend to see. Really? Well, just in terms of, again, to see Stammel Lee, you know, play good tennis. Uh, yeah. You know, again, it's an invitational. It's not a dual match, but to see that they have some serious pieces that can compete yeah. against the Achongs and Fennings of the world and, you know, again, compete well against uh, up and down the lineup, whomever they're playing, it's noticeable. It's just like after what was a down year, down couple of years for this Vanderbilt yeah. program, they're back at a minimum to a top 25 floor, in my opinion, and I think that sort of thing matters, NC State, I agree with you. The message they send is, Schneider or not, we're here to stay. It's too soon to talk about Texas. You're right. We need to see the freshmen play more singles action before you get a read on them. I'm done selling on Texas early in the season.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say is you kind of just caveat it and you say, like, we'll we'll see how they look in April, right? Let's see how they look in May because – There's just a lot of pieces here that they need to figure out. Um, A lot of injuries people are coming back from, a lot of absences. So, you know, we'll we'll revisit the Texas conversation. I mean, we'll probably talk about it week after week, but we really should be talking about it uh, in April.
1: Freeman Memorial, what happened?
0: I mean, this is like Pepperdine's tournament. This is the... They
1: were so good.
0: Yeah, and this is the tournament that they, I think, clinched our like top number yeah. one season uh preseason ranking last season i mean they just dominated this tournament last season they dominated again i mean lisa czar who we did not see collegiately in the fall she plays excellent she wins kind of the top tier draw there beating up of stanford in the final savannah brodus you know wins her respective draw You know, the only one who took a kind of a a head scratcher was Janice Chen, who lost to Carly Briggs of Florida. But I thought she looked good in some of her other matches. I mean, Pepperdine just having the pieces, right? To have a Carolyn Campagna, have an Anna Campagna down there. um, Pepperdine looked really good. I thought Stanford didn't bring their entire lineup here. They split their lineup between Las Vegas and San Diego. But Valencia Shu, I thought, had a very nice weekend. Um, She beat Banyawi. Thumb Jaiwat uh, of Pepperdine—it's a good win for her. So Pepperdine, the winner. I thought both Stanford and, and Florida as well had some um, some redeeming wins uh, that they can feel confident in.
1: This is why Pepperdine's so dangerous. It's because Czar, Brodus, Chen like are three of the twenty-five best players in the country, and you have yep. three of them on your roster. Now the problem is UNC might have six of them on their roster. Uh, but again, like you saw the depth. You saw the strength, Brodus and Chen cruising to another doubles final. Tim Chaiwan and Tsar would have played them. they were like, nah, we don't need to see it. We're good. <laughs> um, yeah, they looked really good. We didn't talk about UCLA, who mm. was okay. Like I thought they weren't great in this event. You mentioned the San Diego event, which I know featured some players as well. But like, again, like if you're UCLA, what are your expectations for the year? Because we haven't talked about them and usually we do
0: not high right i think you're relying on a mix of freshmen right so they have two freshmen um who are going to play a factor in that lineup your returners are vagrimov right who has played between three and four we really haven't seen a ton of action from her or, or let alone a ton of solid results you have vanessa Ong, you know who's factored in the lower of the lineup i mean this is going to probably be another down year for UCLA.
1: Oklahoma State also in action. I thought Rojas looked pr- – they looked good. Like I'm really excited for that Oklahoma State regional come kickoff weekend. I think it's going to be very competitive, uh, and certainly we'll get a sneak peek of that with Michigan taking on Oklahoma uh, here this weekend. All right, last uh, – any final thoughts on that? Or are you ready to move on to my last one?
0: Yeah, it's your last one.
1: All right, USC, who went down to Hawaii, got to compete with a bunch of different teams down there. I know Iowa State was there – a bunch of other teams. Now, USC had a tough run against Iowa State, but I do think that we saw particularly, you know, a a couple of good weeks from a couple of good players. You know, McKenna Koenig, I thought, had a really good week. Uh, Grace Piper, who got a win over Hannah Viller Moller of Cal in three sets, a win over Iowa State as well. I thought she had a really good week. And uh, again, when you look at this USC team, we know up top, you know, that uh, Sieg has earned her spot there. Cayetano has earned her spot there. Snow Han had a ridiculous fall. The question is, what are the pieces beyond those three? And I think we're starting to get a clearer picture of what they are. And you got to be feeling pretty good, right? If you're even Charney had a pretty good week for USC as well. Like you're feeling pretty good if you're Coach Swain, right? Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, where is my invite to these Hawaii trips? Because yeah. I'm there. I can extend my stay a little longer. I'm happy to to cover some of these events. Feels like everyone is in Hawaii now. But yeah, I thought this was a good trip for USC in particular, because they get those reps for all of those players that you talked about, right? You know, Cayetano, Sieg, Snow-Han, you know, not playing these matches, which helps in terms of getting um, good competition for the rest of your lineup. I think we didn't probably talk as much about McKenna Koenig as we did, you know, Grace Piper, but she's had that really solid end to her fall, continuing her January. So they have a lot of pieces on that USC, you know, four through seven, eight uh, lineup. So I think it'll be really good for them. Iowa State, they're sneaky, sneaky good. They are going to be good. Last season, I think I was a
1: year early on them.
0: Maybe a year early, COVID derailed some of the. You know, they didn't get to go to kickoff weekend because of that. But man, I'm just looking
1: at no, their rosters good. And, they're really yeah, good. They're really good. They're not. I don't know up. if they're great anywhere, but they're really good.
0: Yeah, they're just all their players are popping up in these invitationals yeah. and these regional events. It's like whoa, they've got they've got some depth um, on that team. So I've said for me.
1: years, some people named Boomer are bound to have success. I've said it for years, right? And so again, not a shock uh, to see the team thriving yep. uh, over in Iowa State. All right, any other results you want to look at the week ahead?
0: Yeah, I think it's time to preview the
1: week ahead. All right, what do we got? What are the things you'll be watching most closely?
0: Well, first, shout out to the ITA who is releasing their matches of the week uh, on social media. I think they're listing five men's and five women's. Uh, We got a slate of of five five matches, I would call out. The first is on the West Coast. We got both UC Santa Barbara and Pepperdine going to Cal this weekend. UC Santa Barbara looking to have another top 25-esque season. And obviously, Pepperdine-Berkeley, that was the match that initially derailed some of the Pepperdine love early uh, last season when Cal took them out at home. So that will be a a great test uh, on the West Coast. You mentioned the North Carolina trip to Auburn. Uh, Again, I mean, Caroline Lilly there, head coach, working her magic to get North Carolina coming to Auburn. They'll face uh, Auburn and Wisconsin. Both, I think, are going to be, Good tests. I don't think Auburn will be as strong as they were last season. Um, but again, good tests for North Carolina. Got San Diego versus USC. We should see, hopefully, San, uh, USC bring out their full lineup uh, with those players we talked about. Got Vanderbilt versus Northwestern. I think another sneaky good match. Good to see Vanderbilt's full lineup, uh, hopefully. And then last, and this is, you know, Probably the marquee matches are you know, defending NCAA f- finalist Oklahoma, taking on both Michigan and Ohio State on the road. Probably going to be some bar murders looking forward to that one.
1: Let me ask you this, and I think I know the correct answer, but again, you've been the authority on this podcast, so we've, we'll come full circle to wrap today's show. Does it behoove of me to A, wear both Michigan and Tennessee on Thursday, and then Michigan and Oklahoma gear at the matches or B just show up in cracked rackets gear and be completely neutral.
0: Show up in both. (sighs) Who's going to complain? The Michigan Michigan. players
1: are going to scream at me. If I'm wearing non-Michigan, they're going to be like, what are you doing? Meanwhile, this would forever cement my street cred with Tennessee's staff who would really appreciate it. That's the real one to do it at because like Woodruff and James would be like, you know What? You're not a scumbag, Alex. That's that's a very kind—like, they would understand the gesture I'm trying to make. Audra would not give a flying f- one uh-huh. way or the other. She would just be like, what, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. Um, She'd be like, the, the green and the red look horrible together. Yeah. What
1: doing. <laughs> but like, oh, the Tennessee guys would really appreciate—the Michigan men would eviscerate me. Um, and so would the Michigan women, truth be told. Ronnie would be like— Go change right now. Like, this is no. Um, Which is why Cracked racket Gear is the safe move, and that's what a professional would do. But you know how, like, remember when A.J. Hawk's sister was dating Brady Quinn? A.J. Hawk, the linebacker for Ohio State, Brady Quinn the quarterback for Notre Dame?
0: We'll go okay. with that.
1: Okay, so they played in a bowl game, and she wore a jersey, and it was half Brady Quinn, half A.J. Hawk. So, like, half Notre oh, Dame, cool. half Ohio State. That's yeah. me in this moment. This is me saying, hey, I love all of you guys equally. Yeah,
0: rooting for a good college tennis.
1: Yeah, but, like...
0: All right, listeners, he's definitely just going to wear Cracked Rockets gear. I don't know uh, if I will. With,
1: it's it's going to be a big decision. I With
0: a Michigan undershirt so he can uh, appease all the Michigan players. We'll leave staff.
1: it up to the gods. Whatever the gods <laughs> decide, that's what I'll end up doing. But I'm, all, Whatever's I'm going. clean. By the way, I'm pot committed. I'm going. So I go. will be there. And one of my buddies goes, we can hoop Friday morning. And I'm like, in. That's just added incentive. Um, there you go. So anyways, with all that said, that's your look, folks. Week one in the books. Week two ahead college tennis rocking and rolling of course starting next week and this might be news to Jay he and I will be doing this every Tuesday over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel of course next week we'll be previewing the ITA kickoff weekend so be on the look for these shows each and every week on video moving forward and of course every dropping every Wednesday morning on our Great Shot podcast feed a shout out to the man who makes all of that possible our super producer Daniel Westoff, who as always has a of an ending job to do day in day out that said Jay before we go any final thoughts any Australian Open things you want to throw my way? Uh, final shots at the listeners.
0: Well, I'm really liking my J.J. Wolf round of 16 pick.
1: Yeah. So we'll see how that
0: plays out for me. Uh, but it was great to see Ben Shelton get a win uh, at the Australian Open. Cool stat. He's just the second player uh, to do that in over uh, 35 years. So he and Blaz Rola, uh win the NCAAs and then the following year win uh, a round at the Australian Open. So uh, Ben continues to make history. It's awesome to watch his run.
1: I also think he and Rinky, with their college backgrounds, they were just better at engaging the crowd than everyone else. Like, Rinky was so good at it, and it helps to be on home soil, yeah. but I think it's the college tennis background. Like, they, you just know how to work the crowd, work in energy, in a way people who have never had that experience don't.
0: Yeah, well, the flip for Ben is I think that the crowd was not necessarily on his side, but that is something you can still find a way to thrive off of.
1: Sure, it's like playing in Knoxville uh, there you to go. go full circle. But yeah, again... Australian Open coverage is going to continue here on this feed over on the Mini Break podcast feed as well. All the shows available over on crackrackets.com. With that said, for the outstanding John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.